record on this computer. All right. So Judith, uh, we're um, we're up to the um, uh, kind of the turning point where Judith actually shows up on the scene. Um, there's a uh, we're gonna we we'll just quickly review chapter five and then we get into six and seven um, where mm -hmm. the, the battle gets underway and uh, we'll we'll see how um, uh, Judith then steps on the scene in chapter eight and uh, kind of reads him the riot act. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. All mm -hmm. right. Now, let's remember the overall theme of this book um, is spiritual warfare. Now, mm -hmm. there's important things to remember about spiritual warfare that might, shall we say, um, um, be, be distinctive in, 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 in the sense of being different uh, from you know, the, the types of things that we sometimes face in this world. Now, for example, I think in this world, let's say two nations are disputing over some piece of territory. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, they, um, they can, um, they, they, they are, you know, uh, they can compromise, perhaps. They will, okay, we'll, we'll let you go ahead and um, um, take some of this and we'll take some of that. So those kinds of compromises in worldly fights or battles. I think are possible, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, what we're dealing with is uh, an enemy named Satan, and compromise at any level with him is uh, first of all futile, secondly stupid, and thirdly not possible. That is to say, <laughs> he will get his foot in the door, and he will uh -huh. not be satisfied until he owns every inch of the property and. Uh, um, you know, so in other words, let's be clear about something. Satan and this world that he runs will not be satisfied with any compromise you make uh, until every last ounce of your integrity is gone uh, and you belong wholly and entirely uh, to him. And um, you fear him as, instead of God. Now, the um, we might say uh, to quote from Star Trek, the next generation the Borg, you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Uh, well, <clears throat> now, so what we see here is this, this concept of spiritual warfare. Uh, we have to understand who our real enemy is. And we have to understand that to the degree that we're aware that we've made any compromises with him, we have to renounce those things, step back, and um, uh, wholly embrace the kingdom of God and reject everything that is of Satan without any um let me do a quick mute here i think on some of this um uh, but anyway uh so this is this is an important point that distinguishes spiritual warfare um uh, satan does not permit compromise he he he, he uh he, he puts it out there but he's playing a game with you there's no such thing as uh, giving him a few little things here and there and he'll be satisfied he will not and by the way, we know that with the world, too. I mean, how many times have we compromised with all kinds of stuff? You know, oh, come on. You know, being upset that people uh, sleep together before marriage or, you know, live together or don't worry about all that stuff, you know. And little by little, um, the whole concept of human sexuality and that it's linked to having children and being married all unraveled. And then all of a sudden, next thing we know, there's an ascendancy of homosexual celebration. And now we're to the point where... Um, People are saying a man can have a baby. By the way, mm. uh, tar, uh, Targay, Targay, Target, whatever, however you pronounce it, 
has um, um, has a uh, uh, well, they're they're offering a new swimsuit line for uh, <laughs> uh, uh, some of their women's swimsuits now feature a little extra. Pardon the expression, a little rough language here, but a little extra room in the crotch in case the woman in question has testicles. And this is uh, now offered by Target. Um, and by the way, the designer of this fashion line is a Satanist. You know, you can't make this stuff up. Okay. How did we get here? Where even 10 years ago, we couldn't imagine this kind of stuff. And yet here we are. See, little compromises. You see, it will never, ever be enough until two plus two equals five. And I mean, I don't mean that it does equal five, but you will agree with this or you will be destroyed. You see? And so, again, these are the kinds of, by the way, that two plus two equals five. Most of you know who, you know, who have ever heard of the book 1984, right? The government started insisting that people will 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 uh, answer that two plus two equals five. But but obviously it doesn't. No, 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 no. There's no obviously here. The government says and two plus two now equals five. Okay, a woman, uh, a, a man can compete in a woman's sports league, calling himself a woman. Um, a man can uh, wear a woman's swimsuit with a little extra room in case this so-called woman has male genitalia. And, and this is where we are, you see. And how did we get here? And we're like, what? Well, we got here. One little compromise after another. Can it get any darker? Sure it can. I don't know how yet, but it, they'll, they'll work it out. <laughs> I mean, we are down a rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. And that's kind of, this is, so I'm just trying to illustrate to you, not just give social commentary, but I'm just trying to illustrate that we get in these situations through lots of little compromises. Just stay quiet. Don't protest. This is, no, don't worry about this. You know, and we, you know, and so on. And, uh, or, um, you know, um, go along with it. Just agree with it. You know, what the heck, you know, uh, who, who, am I, who am I to say? Well, well, how about, first of all, you're a Christian. Uh, also, do you not have a brain? Uh, maybe you could use it uh, to say, hey, a man is not a woman. What do you think? You know, who am I to say? Well, you're, you're a po person theoretically possessed of reason, intellect. Uh, you have eyes. You can see the obvious. Um, okay, you get the idea. Now, this is why, but who's the prince of this world, you see? And that's, of course, Satan. Now. So this is book is about spiritual warfare. We see that at the beginning of the book, it's things open up that uh, Holofernes, who was the great general of Nebuchadnezzar, um, who was called the Assyrian um, king in this book, although he was he was more Babylonian. But anyway, not, let's not get into the woods about all this. It has assembled in an, an enormous war machine and is chewing up everything on all sides. And again. Just to maybe culturally, you know, anchored in something that with which a lot of people are familiar is like the Death Star in Star Wars, right? Just an immensely powerful Death Star, that thing. He could blow up whole planets, you know, and just chew them up and spit them out. Um, just just moving through the, the galaxy um, and, and just just eating stuff up. And again, there was only, you know, there was overwhelming military power. So same thing here. There is an, uh, the, the numbers that are described here, you know, 110,000 infantry, uh, 27,000 um, cavalry and, you know, and the numbers just keep going up by the chapters we look at today. It's 170,000, the army. It's just an immense thing. You're not 
you're, you know, the feeling that so we talked a little bit in spiritual warfare about the concept of feeling overwhelmed. Well, what, what how, I mean, this is like the whole world's gone seismic. The whole world's gone. You know, I mean, how do you how do you do? What do you do about this? Uh, we feel we feel powerless, you see. And so the first thing that's set forth for us is that very often we do. But remember, five loaves and two fishes. Hmm? Well, what good is that for such a big crowd? Well, Jesus says, have you noticed that I'm here? Hmm. What do you think? Uh, maybe five loaves and two fishes and me. We can pull this thing off. What do you think? Bring me your five loaves and two fishes. Now, or again, we, we saw how Gideon's army of 300 defeated an army of 60,000. We see that um, the, the race does not always go to the swift. That very often wars are won, not on just sheer numbers or firepower, but small tactical little units engaging in kind of tactical war and guerrilla warfare uh, who know the region and can inflict death by a thousand cuts on the big war machine. The race does not always go to the big powerful ones. In the church, we've seen reform. Reform movements usually start with just a very small, even just an individual, like a Francis of Assisi or a St. Dominic or a, a St. Catherine of Siena. Huh? I mean, just and just all of a sudden, reform explodes and people are coming back to God in huge numbers. It wasn't a committee of bishops. It wasn't some big worldwide commission sponsored by the Vatican. You know, it's a nice idea, but, you know, it doesn't usually come out very well. It doesn't usually gain much steam. It's going to be. Very often, God's got a lot of little things up his surprises, if you say, up his sleeve, right? So this idea of being overwhelmed, you see. So anyway, but this war machine has just chewed up and all these towns and the places and other, not just towns, but tribes and so on, have surrendered to Holofernes, except one, and that's the Jews. They've just come back to the uh, to the promised land. Uh, they've rebuilt the temple and um, they're suddenly facing this huge military threat and they refuse to surrender now there you see is the key point in spiritual warfare oh come on they should surrender i mean they, they can't possibly win and you know what the heck you're going to probably be a vassal uh, you know uh, you know vassals to some other external king anyway you know hey you just might as well go ahead and surrender uh uh no now think about it you and i might just think that land is just land and you know you know, uh, we'd like to fight for our nation and so on. But at the end of the day, I want you to remember something about the Jewish people, that land, their land was sacred. It was the promised land. It was a land that God gave them. And he said, you stay here and you obey me and you stay faithful to me and you'll be strong. And I want you to trust me. Okay. I don't want you building alliances with other nations and so on. I want you to trust me. Okay. So this is a call to stand out on this faith now. They had been. Uh, some 80 years before they had been uh, conquered by the Babylonians because they had grown weak through their infidelity to God. But now they say, we've got to stay strong. Isaiah puts it this way. He says, if your faith, if you, if you do not, um, uh, if you do not stand on your strong faith, you will not stand at all. Okay. So they do refuse to surrender. And Holofernes is just raging with anger now. Look, I've chewed up everyone else. Everyone else is conquered, except this little stupid group of people in this little stupid place called Palestine, or they didn't call it Palestine. Then, but you know, what? Who do these people think they are? I am Holofernes, and I represent the god Nebuchadnezzar. Who do they think they are? Do they, you know, is their god more powerful than mine? By the way, stop the tape. Yes. Okay. But um, so 
they they chewed up everything they are now out in the judean desert think if you know the area at all somewhere near jericho they're in camp down there there's a huge range of mountains that they have to go over to get up into jerusalem so there's only certain mount passes so the jews say well all right look we we we, we we're going to use the advantages we do have and in order to get into our region they're going to have to follow any one of four five or six mountain passes so let's fortify them let's put some troops there and let's just make sure nothing gets through all right now again we we talk more i can't repeat everything we've done in previous classes but for example what do those mountains represent well remember the lord said regarding compromise no one can serve two masters okay You'll either love the one and hate the other, but no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You've got to choose sides. They've chosen to be with the Lord. And these mountains represent, if you will, this, uh, in terms of our truck with the world, we cannot and should not compromise. We should stay faithful to the scriptures, to what God teaches, without exception. Although, unfortunately, many Christians, Catholics as well, we they do make compromises. But the, the ideal for us in spiritual warfare is no compromise gets you a gets you nowhere and b um it is simply a recipe for further disaster okay you've got to stay with the lord the worst thing the enemy can do is kill you and if you do die uh, at the hands of the enemy you have maximum promotion the lord will praise you uh you know blessed are you who are persecuted and hated for my sake your reward will be great in heaven okay so the Lord said, look, what are you so worried about? Why do you worry about those who can kill the body but can't touch the soul? I'll tell you, you watch out for the one who's going to judge you, namely me, or, and decide where you'll spend eternity. You know, now hang out with me, fear me, and don't fear anyone else. All right, so that's the vision. Now, so so these mountains, if you will, represent so that Jerusalem, uh, as, as the psalm says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, surrounded by the um, uh, holy city, Surrounded by the mountains, you see, as such is the Lord God, a wall, a, a wall and a protection for you, okay? So the Psalms speak of Jerusalem, speak of the Holy Land as surrounded by mountains um, and hard to enter because it's surrounded by the mountains of being protected, being within the walls of God's teaching. Now, the safest place on earth, brothers and sisters, the safest place is inside God's commandments inside god's teachings all right um it's it's a fortified city you know and i'm not talking about you'll never you'll never uh you know lose your job or nothing never any sufferings i'm just going to say that um, uh the worst thing namely the loss of your soul uh and, and going to hell forever can't come to you as long as you stay inside those walls it's like being on noah's ark huh you know the floods may come but you're on noah's ark you're all right man you know so you see the vision. That's what those mountains represent. Now, there are certain little passes that can get them out into the world or where the world can get in. Now, we all need, as the Lord says, Lord, Heavenly Father, they are not of the world, but they are in the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you may protect them from the evil one. So we need some of these passage, passages, mountain passes to get through and have some truck with the world. We need to get food. And, you know, we are consigned to live here in this time of testing and in this world, but those passages need to be well fortified. So whatever mountain passes you have to have, where you have some, what's the word I'm looking for? Some, some, some truck or some relationship with the things of this world in order to, you know, pay your bills or, um, you know, have, have food and shelter and so on. But make sure those mountain passes are few and well fortified.
Got it? You be careful what you're watching. You be careful what your kids and grandkids are watching. You see, uh, this is so these are the images we've been looking at in spiritual warfare. Now, we also see that <clears throat> last week, and they conquered everyone else, the army's sitting out there, and now we have a situation where um, they, um, uh, you know, the army is amassing down there, and they're threatening to invade. So we, this is where we picked up last week um, in chapter five. Um, Holofernes prepares a war council. That is to say, he summons his leaders, uh, and and um, all those places and people he conquered, the ones he didn't kill. He forced the men into conscription. They are now members of his army. By the way, they said, hey, man, you can take our cattle and stuff, but just don't kill us and leave us you know, alone after that. The Holy Furnace went ahead and killed and wiped out just about everything. The ones who were left alive, the women and children, were reduced to slavery, and the men conscripted into the army. So guess what? They tried to compromise with the enemy. Now they're fighting for him. But, but they're conscripted to do it, right? So again, don't compromise with... The world and the devil hmm, doesn't get you anywhere, all right? Um, now, um, so he calls his war council, and he asks for basically what mil military intelligence. Now, a lot of crickets, you know. Who are these people, uh, he says here, who live in this, up there in that hill country near Judea? Well, who are these? Who do they think they are? What makes them think they're so strong? Anyone? Anyone? Crickets. No one says anything. All of a sudden, this guy um, uh, named, um, uh, you know, um, Achior, uh, who was a Moabite, or I'm sorry, an Ammonite, uh, speaks up. He's one of the ones who's been conscripted into the army. He says, well, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. Um, these people, you know, you, you don't think, you think they're nothing, but I got news for you. Uh, <clears throat> in the um, many, many centuries they've lived in this land, um, they got a pretty fearsome God. And, you know, as long as they stay faithful to this God, they're hard to beat. Um, they're... Um, and he tells the whole history of Israel, all the way from when they, when they, their history began, all the way down with Abram's family, way down in in um, Ur of the Chaldees. He says they came forth from the from the Chaldeans, you know, the uh, what we would say today, the Iraqis. They came as a tribe from out of there. They refused to serve the local gods, and so they left and they went up to Haran, way up in the north near the near the Black Sea. And then God called them to go down into a land that He gave them in, in Canaan. And uh, they 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 came there and they flourished. There was a famine. They went to Egypt. They got enslaved for 400 years, but they came back strong. <clears throat> their God has rescued them. They've come through our land. They've taken that holy land. And when they are close to their God, they're hard to beat. So don't underestimate this group. Now, he says, therefore, I would recommend we do something that will help them not to be faithful but to their God. You know, send some temptation their way. Do they? And that's that'll be the best way to beat them. But anyway, Holofernes, again, remember, he asked for he asked for military intelligence. But, you know, Holofernes has got a big ego. He says, How dare you suggest I'll be hard to beat? I am Holofernes. And um, I serve Nebuchadnezzar. You say their God is strong. No one is stronger than Nebuchadnezzar. Our God, you know, rawr, throw Achior out. Um, they, so everyone turns on him. And, you know, and again, um, this is... Um, this is what happens when you serve the world. You know, politics change in a minute, right? You remember when we went through that section on Catholic controversies, I tried to show you how the stance of the political parties in this country have switched almost 180 degrees on key topics, you see? 
it all switches. And if you ain't singing from the right, you know, libretto, if you ain't, you know, reciting the right text or the narrative, you are worse than an infidel. You know, you must be silent. We will see you in court. So this is how the world is, you see. So Holofernes asked for intelligence, military intelligence. He got it. And now he's in a rage. And all we, so chapter five ended this way. And we're going to go now into chapter six, um, which will be new material. When Achior finished saying these things, all the men standing in the tent began to complain. Holofernes, officers, and all the men from the seacoast and from Moab insisted that he must be put to death. All he did was answer a question. See? Now, I just, again, I want you to notice today how hardwired sometimes things are in this country right now. If you say the wrong thing. Okay? Um, don't you agree that, um, I don't know, abortion is a wonderful thing? No, actually, I don't. What? Who are, are you? And, and it's not like, well, gee, uh, I'm of a different opinion. You know, I think we should have, you know, whatever reason they might. No, you, you, you shouldn't even be allowed to say that. See? Um, and or, you know, you know, put in some other topic again, all this crazy gender stuff today. And so if you don't go and sing from the right narrative, you know, they'll just turn on you in a minute, even though in this case, Achior was simply doing what he was asked to do, giving a, an assessment of who these people are. OK, so even just the basic facts, remember back during COVID, you know, you couldn't say a lot of stuff. You get canceled. You'd get removed from Facebook. See, well, I, I, I wonder if this vaccine is like um, not really very well tested. Ah, silence, turn him off, you know, that kind of stuff. So again, I don't want to get into all the politics of today, uh, even though I just did, sorry. But all that said, we have here, they turn on him. He must be put to death. He must be canceled, to put it in modern terms. Um, for they will not, for he, for he, for uh, he said they will not be these Israelites uh, will not be a, uh, we, we that we I'm sorry for they said for they said we will not be afraid of these Israelites they are people with no strength and no power for making war therefore let us go up Lord Holofernes and and they will be uh, they we will devour them by our vast army okay now uh, I told you you know you better be careful You're talking like that. Um, I don't care how big your army is. Remember, the race does not always go to the swift, and the victory does not, and the spoils do not always go to the biggest army with all the tanks and aircraft carriers and stuff like that. Again, do I need to trot out a couple of examples? Let's just quickly do it. Vietnam. Oh, he's vastly outnumbered, the, the Vietnamese. I mean, we, we had such a war machine you could hardly imagine compared to them. I mean, they were practically using sticks and stones. I'm exaggerating. But they they didn't fight us on our terms. They fought on their terms. They fought these little tactical groups that weren't made up of obvious soldiers. They didn't wear obvious uniforms saying, I'm the opposite side. Point your gun at me and try to kill me. They, they dressed like civilians. Some of them were not just men. Some of them were women and children. And they found they formed these little tactical units and just it was death by a thousand cuts. And we, we ended up leaving there with the ta our tail between our legs. We had all the aircraft carriers, everything you could ever imagine. And frankly, <clears throat> the Russians and the uh, Chinese didn't really even do that much. They gave some assistance to the North, but we were basically just beaten by a small group of people who could fight tribally and, and, and with small tactical units down in the tunnels of Kuchi and places like that. 
Okay. What's a small army, I mean, a huge army supposed to do with tanks and stuff when they're down in tunnels fighting you? You know, you don't get a tank down into a tunnel. You see? So they said, you got to fight on our terms. You got this big machine and you ain't you're like, David, I can't wear all this armor. I can't move around in it. I need to be freed of this. I, give me my slingshot. And he won the day. Uh, so again, uh, another example right now in Ukraine, you know, Russia's kind of bogged down. They have a huge army compared to, to the Ukrainians. But those Ukrainians are using these small little tactical things and they're inflicting death by a thousand cuts. All right. So this is foolishness just at, at a military level. But at the, at the level of spiritual warfare, I do want to say that the devil is not all powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not always smart. Uh, he often overreaches. Hmm? Um, you know, the, the evil can, you know, as I say, come to a point where it just overreaches and so on and shows a vulnerability. So, again, we may, we may be with we may be, um, you know, at that point with this, you know, transgenderism stuff. It's just so remarkably foolish and strange uh, so who knows maybe that's the but we'll we'll see how that unfolds but the point being is realize that you're up against an enemy that's overwhelming and he's not omnipotent and we've got god right so any uh does someone have a question i thought i heard somebody okay now moving then into chapter six this is new material i know it took me a while to get there but I just want to keep the whole book in front of us because um, sometimes, you know, we just drop down into the middle. Not all of you have been here for every session and sometimes we forget. Okay. Now, chapter six. Um, we're going to just find out here that it, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this chapter, but we're going to find out that Achior gets, uh, let's just say he's aching by the end of all this. All right. <laughs> he's aching, right? Now, um, would somebody like to read, let's just say maybe verses one through four of chapter six? <clears throat> okay, I guess I'll read. Um, chapter six of Judith. When the disturbance made by the men outside the council died down, Holofernes, the commander of the Assyrian army, said to Achior, I'm going to make you ache. No, that's not what he said. Uh, and all the Moabites in the presence of all the foreign contingents. And who are you, Achior, you hireling of Ephraim? By the way, he's just answered a question. He was asked to answer. All right, but anyway. Who are you to prophesy among us as you have done today and tell us not to make war against the people of Israel? By the way, he didn't say that. He just said, be careful. This, this Don't underestimate this people. Now, again, see what the devil always does. He always exaggerates. Did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? No, just the one. You know, well, even that's too much. He shouldn't even tell you to not eat from one. But the point is, you know, he's always trying to exaggerate. Now, you'll often hear, oh, those Christians, they got all these rules they got to follow. As if the people in the world don't have rules. If you don't recite two plus two equals five, you know, you can't say that. You can't use this word. You can't say that. You can't have this opinion or, you know, you know, all that kind of, you know, as if there were no rules on the other side or even just go bowling. There's rules to follow. All right. So you see, uh, but we don't have that many rules. We have some. But the point is that uh, so does everything. So it's an exaggeration. You see. All right. Now, moving on. Um, I'm in verse two again. Who are you, Aq? Are you hireling of Ephraim? Uh, to prophesy among us as you have done today and tell us not to make war against the people of Israel because their God will defend them. Who is 
God except Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, he will send his forces and destroy them from the face of the earth, and their God will not deliver them. We, the king's servants, will destroy them as one man. They cannot resist the might of our cavalry. We will burn them up, and their and, and their mountains will be drunk, uh, dr- drunk with their blood, and their fields will be full of their dead. They cannot withstand us, but we will. They will utterly perish. So says King Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord of the whole earth, for he has spoken. None of his words shall be in vain. Yada yada yada. Now, pay attention. Let's look. Let's fast forward in the story. Guess guess what? This great mighty Nebuchadnezzar, the, the God of all the earth, uh, is going to be defeated by a widow and her slave girl. Hmm. All right, so I'm just fast forwarding with you, right? All this bluster, all this arrogance, all this pride, see? Now, pay attention. What gets Satan into trouble? Pride, that's his first sin. I will not serve. I will not follow God's ways. I will not. Now, go with me now to the foot of the cross, and Satan is running victory laps around the cross. (laughs) Killed him! He's dead, man. He's 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 finished. I won. He's running victory laps. Jesus drops down into his trophy room, this devil's trophy room, and he turns the place out. He wakes up the dead and he prepares them to go to glory. See, this is what pride does. See, it's all you know. The old, you know, it's, it's a hackneyed thing now, but pride goes before a fall. But um, it's an ugly thing. You know, we all ought to realize, however, whatever strengths you think you have or whatever strengths we think this nation has, whatever, there are people out there who are better than us at certain things. There are people out there who are better teachers than I am, better preachers. There are people out there who are holier than you and I. There are, stop all this, oh, look at us, we are, you know, you know, look, it's, it's okay to rejoice in the gifts we have, but at the end of the day, stay humble, my friend. Stay humble. There are just people out there who, whatever the topic at hand, whether it's a certain sport or it's, um, um, you know, it's 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 a it's a war machine versus another war machine. Whatever, see, there is just something and someone out there that can be better than we are at stuff. Okay, and that's the nature mm-hmm. of being humble to realize I do have gifts, but I don't have all the gifts. And um, whatever gifts I do have, they are gifts. Hmm? And anyway, you you get the idea. Now, um, this is though Satan's biggest flaw and his biggest weakness is his pride. Okay, is pride, and it gets him into trouble every time. You know, I mean, in the rite of exorcism, we remind him of all the times he just failed. You know, he says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, you, you thought you could uh, win with Pharaoh, you lost there. You know, you thought you could. Uh, you know, you, you thought you could, uh, uh, you know, beat Jesus in the desert. He conquered with those temptations. He beat you there. He beat you every step of the way. Every time you thought you could win the day, you lost. You're a big loser at the end of the day. Oh, you roar and you rage and you seem to have the victory for a minute. Evil has its hour, but God has eternity. Okay. Evil can have its hour. An apparent victory, but God has eternity. And so, again, his biggest flaw always is going to be his pride. And we see here in this spiritual conflict that there is going to be all this arrogance and bluster. Holofernes is going to be beaten by a widow and her slave girl. He'll be beheaded by them. 
Okay, but I, I'm getting ahead of the story. Now, I'm in verse uh, five. They're still yelling at Acure for just answering a question. Hey, you, Acure, Ammonite hireling, who have said these words on this day of your iniquity, you will never see my face again from this day until I take revenge on the race that came out of Egypt, the, namely the Jews. Then the sword of my army and the spear of my servants will pierce your sides, and you shall fall among their wounded when I return. Now my slaves are going to take you back to that hill country and put you in one of the cities beside the passes, and you will not die until you perish with them. If you really hope in your heart that they will not be taken, don't look downcast. I have spoken, but none of my words shall fail. Then Polytherenes ordered his slaves who waited on him in his tent to seize Achor and to take him to Bethulia and hand him over to the men of Israel. So the slaves then took him and led him out of the camp into the plain from the, from the plain where, and they went up onto the hill country or, you know, uh, you know, to the passages near the hill country, and they came to the springs below Bethulia. Now, Bethulia, mm -hmm. we don't know the name of this town today. Um, it may just be a, another version of the name Bethel. So if you can kind of imagine where Jerusalem is, Bethel would be about 20 miles north, maybe not that far even, 10 miles north. It's like Hyattsville is to Washington, right? Okay, kind of a suburb, right? Um, and um, so is that possibly what was meant here by Bethulia? We don't know, but just it's right there in the hill country, um, right near Jerusalem, okay? Now, they lead him there to the springs below Bethulia, and when the men of the city saw them, they caught up their weapons and they ran out of the city to the top of the hill, and all the slingers kept them coming uh, from coming up by casting stones on them. However, they got under the shelter of the hill and they bound Achior and left him lying at the foot of the hill and returned to their master. Now, a couple thoughts here. If we will allow, um, if we will allow uh, Holofernes, the general, to be to represent Satan, notice uh, Holofernes can't be bothered with throwing Achior up into the hill country. Uh, he sends some flunkies. It says here slaves. In other words, some of these Ammonites and other Hittites or Jebusites that he's taken as a, and conscripted into the army. He says, you take him up there. In other words, and so what they have to go up and endure the slings and the arrows and, you know, all the, remember, the, the Jewish people have really uh, fortified these passes. So they're, they're going to get rained on by all kinds of, um, by all kinds of, you know, weaponry. So they can't even take it anymore. They just throw him down and they run. You know, he, he's left now at the bottom of the hill uh, near the spring that feeds Bethulia. All right. Now, what's interesting here, uh, just to, to use uh, the image of exorcism, you know, right now, Satan's probably down in, in hell, sipping on some mint juleps and, uh, uh, you know, kind of biding his time. And he's got all these flunkies, these lower ranking demons out doing his bidding. And um, anyone ever uh, read the screw tape letters? You know, you can sort of see that, and, and it's based, you know, I mean, C.S. Lewis was not a, a theologian in the sense of he'd studied demonology forever, but he's just drawing from the tradition that the lower ranking demons are almost slaves to the higher ranking demons, like, you know, Methuselah, um, 
um, you know, Leviathan, um, you know, um, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm, you know, the, all these different higher ranking demons, and they're all slaves to Satan, but Satan doesn't care about them. You know, he, he sends them out, he doesn't care if they're getting beat up. So very often, um, the exorcist will, in an exorcism, will remind these lower ranking demons, you know, your, your, your boss doesn't care about you. Um, he, he doesn't care that you're suffering. He's not going to see you. He might send you reinforcement. That's only if he wants to. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're on your own, man. Um, trying to remind them of their forlorn state. Right now, Satan's having a good old time down there in hell, sipping on mint juleps and having a good old time, and he doesn't care about you. You know, and you know. So anyway, the, the idea is to remind the demons that they're just throwaway trash. You know, um, to 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 their boss and to Satan and so on. If you read, if you read the screw tape letters. Um, if you read the screw tape letters, you'll see how Wormwood um, is um, just just savaged at times by his uncle uh, Screw Tape, and uh, beaten and, and 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 chided and and scorned and laughed at. I mean, the thing about demons you have to remember is as as they seem like they're all united and so on. It's a reign of terror among them. It's a reign of fear. They are they're they're ruled by hatred. And fear, not by love and loyalty. They can't stand each other any more than they can stand us. And this is what most exorcists will tell you, um, that um, this is what they encounter. And at times, only rarely, but at times the exorcists can turn some of them against each other, um, reminding them of this fact. So here you have a picture of this. You've got old Paul of Fairness back there having a beer, saying, boy, I really vented my anger today. I, I told them. <clears throat> and he sends these flunkies to go and drop off Achior, um, who, whom he sentenced. But he they, they're going to have to do the dirty work. They have to endure the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune raining down on them <clears throat> to deliver this guy. They finally say, heck with this man. And they just get out and they leave him uh, at the bottom of the hill all bound up. OK, there's a picture there that I want you to see of the demonic world. All right. And I don't encourage you to do it, but if you ever choose to study a little bit more about demonology, you know, these things are spelled out. Now, how do we know all these things? Well, we don't really know them as like the, at the level of dogma, but, you know, thousands of years of experience by exorcists handed on down through the centuries who have engaged in casting out demons have collected this knowledge and over the Many, many centuries, these things have been handed down, okay? So that's why I say to, to some with some degree of certainty, even as we speak about a murky, mysterious world, that um, demons are not as united as we'd like to think, you know? Now, maybe a couple of those worldly examples just to give, and then I, I, if there's any questions, I should stop for a moment. But a couple of other quick examples. One of the things that happened um, in the um, during the time of the Crusades, from say about the 1300s up uh, say through the 1500s is that the, the the Muslim people were very united by the Ottoman, the Ottoman Turks. Um, and they were a formidable foe, very formidable foe. Unfortunately, at that same time, especially towards the end of the period, Christians were very divided. There had been the Lutheran revolt, um, England had drawn back. Uh, so by the time the so-called reformation happened, Christianity was very divided. And the, the Muslim world was very united by the Ottoman Turks. And they kind of had their way um, in many ways. Uh, but finally, finally, the Christian pulled together and kept them at the gates of Vienna from going any further. And 
kept them from crossing back over Gibraltar back into Spain. But it, it, it was a tough thing because the Christians really weren't united. Now, today, if you look at the Muslim world, I would argue that the one thing that's keeping us from being completely overrun um, is, is that, again, the, uh, the, the Muslim world is very divided. There's all kinds of different sects and different divisions within the Muslim world. Um, and I don't know if any of you do military work or military intelligence uh, or have read any of it, but it's it's not that hard to get them fighting each other. You may remember the Iran-Iraq war. Now, by the way, those are Persians versus, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to use the biblical language, those are Persians versus Babylonians. We think, well, they're all Muslim. No. I mean, it's like saying uh, an Argentinian is a Californian. Well, they're all North American. They, you know, they all, there's a lot of them that speak Spanish, but that doesn't mean they're all. You see what I'm saying? So, so again, I would just say here that um, the the demonic world is not always as united uh, as you think, and it's not a perfect war machine. And um, so, I would just simply say, be sober about the power uh, that's evident in the demonic world, but do not be so forlorn. That you know, you think that they, they're just—they're all perfectly united against us. They're not, all right. And they fight among each other a lot. Read the screw tape letters if you want a kind of colorful description of that. Okay. Now, um, questions or comments before I go on? So we see these lower-ranking soldiers have to drop AQR off at the kind of at the bottom of the mountain. Um, they can't get much further, and they just give up and head back. All right. And they're likely heading back to great punishment, <laughs> although the book doesn't tell us for sure. Now, let, let's go to um, um, verse 14. So Achor is, you know, all tied up and bound there at the foot of the hill. So the men of Israel, after the soldiers had left from the opposing side, the men of Israel came down from their city and found him. And they untied him and they brought him into uh, Bethulia and placed him before the magistrates of their city, who in those days were Uzziah, the son of Micah, and uh, the uh, of the tribe of Simeon, and Shabras, the son of uh, Anothiel, and, 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 and we don't need all the names. Verse 16, they called together the elders of the city, and all their young men and their women ran to the assembly, and they set Achior in the midst of their people, and Uzziah asked him what had happened. And he answered and told them what had taken place in the council of Holofernes and all that he had said in the presence of the Assyrian leaders and all that Holofernes had said so boastfully against the house of Israel. And then the people fell down and worshipped God and cried out to him and said, O Lord, God of the heavens, behold their arrogance and have pity on the humiliation of our people and look this day upon the faces of those who are consecrated to you. And they then consoled Achor and praised him greatly. And Uzziah took him from the assembly to his own house and gave a banquet for him there with the elders. And uh, and all that night they called on the God of Israel for help. All right. So they, they've gotten some, if you will, intelligence. What's happening in the camp of Holofernes? What are their plans? And Achor supplies some of that. It's not good news, but it's news. And um, on top of that, uh, they're grateful that um, he's reminded them because he told them the whole story that if they will stay faithful to their God, they are very strong. And um, that uh, even though he was beaten up for saying it, Holofernes has this message still ringing in his ears. All right. So that's the end of that chapter. 
I want to continue just moving right into seven, but I, on the other hand, let's just stop. I think uh, I see a question from Liz. Is it? Is it you have a question? Just a, a comment. Uh, the consecration that they talked about here, how is that different than the one that we did at St. Cyprian, a consecration to um, Jesus through Mary? Uh, what consecration uh, are you talking about here uh, in, the, in the text? Didn't you just say the word consecration? No, I don't think. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. It's just okay. what I thought I heard. Oh, okay. No, um, I'm sorry. I, I think I might have mentioned um, they came together in a congregation or whatever, but you know, but yeah. Okay. Congregation. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, um, any other uh, comments or questions? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, Okay. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I I like the way how you set it up in the beginning. Um. Yeah. You, know, you talked about the um. You can't compromise. The devil is. He's not going to compromise. Well, he's going to compromise, but he's not going to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. He wants every bit of you. Mm -hmm. Line, hook, and sinker. I I really like that because uh, what what you explained in the beginning is what we are facing today. And I like the way you brought out that our transgender piece. Uh, sometimes when I'm speaking at different congregations and different churches, churches, when I jump into that transgender piece, uh, all you gotta do is look at people's faces. Yeah. Their face will tell the tale of the story when you talk about certain issues, yeah. especially that transgender piece. And I and the Lord shows me that a lot of people in the church, mm -hmm. in the body of Christ now, okay, what denomination yeah. Yeah. are being seduced, Monsignor, by yeah. the spirit. Yeah. They're being seriously seduced by it. Because yeah. I can feel in my spirit the opposition that's coming against me. And they don't. They only have to open their mouths. Yeah. They don't have to open their mouths. It's a mm. spiritual thing. I can feel the spiritual opposition that comes against me when mm -hmm. I uh, start to speak on that transgender issue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a global yeah. issue, and right. they're like, "Well, um, I'm a man, and you have to identify me by the way I feel, or by the <laughs> by the sex I think I am." I said, "Hold on yeah. now." No, no, Man, no. This is a biological thing here. You're not a man and you're not a yeah. woman. <laughs> you yeah. try to tell me that. And what you want to do, you want me to identify you by your mm. by the gender, by the way you feel and how you what you think you are. You're yeah. not going to take away my First Amendment rights. Right. If you're a man, I'm going to call you a man. If you're a woman, <laughs> I'm going to call you a woman. If you're a man, I'm going to identify your name by that man, by your biological name, not by your name that you think that you are a woman. Uh-uh. And they get real upset at you, you know, yeah. and I think one one of the things, Monsignor, that we uh, we must realize, and I'm so glad you, you, you're teaching and how you connect both the two with the transgender and what we're going through and what this book is dealing with, with Judith and all mm -hmm. that. I'm so glad how you connect the dots. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I feel like running. Right. I love <laughs> it how you connect the dots 
which is very meaningful and it opens up my understanding. It gives me a better understanding of what we're dealing with today and how you bring it into and how you uh, uh, conduit with what, what's happening in society today. Do not put your jacket on. Don't run, Howard. Yeah, Do I, not I, run. I, <laughs> I appreciate that, Monsignor. I appreciate right. that very much. But yeah, I just had to get that out, you know, because my heart yeah. is... Uh, you know, it's yeah. burning within me as you teach. Thank you. All right. Bless God. You know, I will say this. I think, Howard, the problem behind the problem that you're describing is that too many Christians have fallen prey to the idea that the essence of being a Christian is just to be nice. Be mm-hmm. nice. To and you, I don't know if you've ever really read the Bible if you talk like that. I mean, not you personally, but anyone I'm talking to, my interlocutor here. I mean, Jesus wasn't nice. Remember, there's there's some places that he's laying out the Pharisees and, and just just calling them names. You root of vipers, you hypocrites, you you know, and and he's straightening out your gnats and swallowing camels. You 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 like whitewashed tombs. And and he, and and then the lawyers say, but Lord, in speaking this way, you're offending us too. And he said, woe to you, lawyers! Also, you set up heavy burdens that people can't possibly carry, and you don't lift a finger. You know, and he just, and I don't mean to say that he was just always yelling and screaming, but I will say that he wasn't nice in any modern conventional sense. Um, he, he's, in fact, before Pontius Pilate, he says, you know, Pilate says, um, man, people calling you a king. What's going on here? He says, I don't know. He says, that's what, just, he says, that's their term. But I'm telling you this, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who, who adheres to the truth, hears my voice and follows me, you know? I'm not here to be Mr. Nice Guy. I came to bear witness to the truth. And um, Amen. But you see, this this idea of just being nice, getting along, and not offending. I mean, notice again, like the example you gave, Howard. They're not. They're not. Uh, they have no problem offending you. But you just even raise an eyebrow. Oh, how dare you? You have to do whatever I say. You're a bad person, or you know, I don't know how they you know they get into. But they don't mm-hmm. seem to care. They're not being kind. They're not being nice. And somehow we're like, oh, but we've got to just stay nice all the time because Jesus was nice. No, he wasn't. By the way, the word nice comes from the word neshitis in, in, in Latin, which means ignorant, stupid. Mm. All right. A dupe. All right. And we turned it into this sort of virtuous thing. But it, it, for most of the history of the word nice has not been a compliment. It means you're a what's what's the uh, the way the communist you're a useful idiot. A useful idiot. That's what the communists put it, right? Okay, I see another hand up here. Um, Daryl and Karen, is a hand up? You want to? But, Senior, Jeff is weak. Um, I had an employee um, that wanted, it's a male, but he wanted to be called they. <laughs> and I went, huh? And his managers would not call him by name. The manager said they, and I kept saying, who is they? Who is they? Yeah. He said they, he wanted to be called they. <laughs> yeah. But you know me, I scratched my head. Yeah. And I went, okay, I'm going to call him by his name. All right. There you go. But because I don't know him by they, I know him by his name that comes up on my payroll. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just felt that when By you the way, said um, compromising, yeah, right. I'm like, I don't have to. Oh, oh I see. Well, you know, uh, is it compromise? No, I, but you're refusing to call him they, and I think that's where you need to stand. It's okay to call somebody by their name, but I think that um, at some point, if somebody comes to you or to me and says, you know, I expect to be called by some pronoun of they or something that they're not, say, well, I want to be called your highness. Mm-hmm. And if you will start calling me your royal highness, anytime you refer to me, her royal highness, royal highness, then I will uh, call you they. How do you feel about it? You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Up the ante. I don't know. I don't, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just saying, look, I'm not going to. Uh, play the game. I mean, this is your 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 list here. I mean, and again, you have also things at work you have to do. But I I would say uh, at the end of the day, resist this evil. He's asking you to lie. And you know, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I believe in God, and God God said we're not to bear false witness. Um, we're not to lie, and I, I cannot Amen. tell a lie. I cannot tell a lie. Amen. And I think that's kind of the way to go back at it. See, I, I, I for for religious reasons, you're asking me to lie, and I can't lie. I just can't do it. Mm. <laughs> I fear God more than I fear you, you know, or something like that. Correct. But again, you'll have to kind of how to work your way through it because I don't know all the things in the workplace. But even if, if the, the, you know, I think at some point we're going to have to be willing to lose our jobs and stuff over this, you know. And I'm not telling you to immediately go lose your job. I mean, ex- exhaust every other option you can find. But at the end of the day. I think if, if it were to come down to me, if I had, uh, it, I mean, it would not happen, but if the archbishop were to come to me and say, I want you to start referring to, you know, these or that person in your parish as she, even though he's a he, I'd have to say, I think I need to go find a monastery because I'm not going to lie. I just won't lie, you know. Anyway, well, so I, I mean, at some point, I yeah. think these things, what I, and I said this in other things, I'm not picking on your situation alone. I'm saying all of us, have some decisions to make coming down the road because this is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. No. At least for a while. Right. And I right. can say that I think at some point we have to be willing to take risk like they did in the civil rights movement. You know, you think about Rosa Parks being arrested. You think about when they did the bus boycott. You think about they for six months, all those people who had jobs on the other side of town had to walk or find a ride. Um, they had to uh, suffer a lot. Other people went to jail. Other people were had fire hoses or scalding hot coffee or were spat upon. And they had to be willing to suffer, to refuse to cooperate with evil. Um, and so I, I don't, I, I, we can talk more offline about this, Karen, but I'm just saying at some level, a lot of us are finding more and more of these things coming up at work. And I think somewhere, you know, you can go to court. I would bet you'd probably win in courts right now, but. Uh, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean you'll have a, a ch- paycheck every month right. while you your court case to go. So I'm not telling you to exhaust other options first. Don't you don't have to just blow everything up. But I would say for all of us, not just in this matter, but a lot of other matters, that we're, we're probably going to have to be willing at times to suffer because it's getting mm-hmm. dark very quickly out there. It is zero dark thirty. Mm-hmm. I will say this, senior, that. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling because there's a gay pride parade in June. And with me being in 
HR, they want me to attend it because of recruiting. And I will not. Good, good for you. That it is totally against Mm -hmm. my morals. And I told myself, I have to go to my Monsignor and get a letter. I will get a letter. Yeah, I'll do that. I, and, you know, just say to them, look for sincerely held religious beliefs, and I have a right to religious liberty. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Amen. you would win in the courts, but it might take you six years to get there. You know what I'm saying? So, but for sincerely held religious beliefs, I can't celebrate what, uh, you know, the Lord has told me is, is, is not right. And I'm not here to, 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 uh, to you know, uh, beat up people who are doing this, but I can't be asked to celebrate something that God calls sin. And anyway, I, I don't know, you can do it your way, but I'll, you, fight on, fight on, man, uh, Karen, fight on. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be there at your side if I have to be, all right? <laughs> Good for you. All right, Liz, you got your hand up. When I was in the government and I worked in the Civil Rights Department, mm-hmm. and um, that's when there began all of this, um, you know, um, stuff about uh the right to uh, come come to work, you know, if you, sex stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it began, uh, you know, b- back in, uh, in the the late nineties, um, and I I had to make some decisions at that time because I was director of uh, employment discrimination complaints, yeah, and um, so. I had to uh, if uh, put into effect these laws and rules, regulations, where managers, you know, couldn't discriminate against individuals who uh, had these preferences and uh, rights, and yeah. it was um, very difficult for me uh, with my belief systems, mm-hmm. and um, and so. You know, it came to a point where um, people, you know, um, asked me, how could I, you know, do this job uh, knowing how I felt about it? And I said, well, you know, for the time that I have left, Mm -hmm. as a citizen of the United States of of America, Mm -hmm. we all have a right to employment. And nobody has the right to take a job from you because you're different than someone else or deny you employment because you're different than someone else. Right, right, right. And uh, so what I'm saying that to Karen is when you, if you have a a job where somebody, your manager is saying there's a law out and mm-hmm. I want you to learn about the law mm-hmm. uh, because it's part of your job. Uh, there's nothing wrong with learning about a law, but that's not what you have to believe or ask anybody else to believe. Yeah. I, and um, anyway, that's how I reconciled it. Um, and, now, I, and again, let's make a few distinctions, though, Liz. I think, you know, there are. Uh, civil rights laws that were certainly meant to protect people from 
God-given qualities, for example, the color of skin or uh, male, being male or right. female. But the, the, there's a whole range of people who want civil rights protections now for certain behaviors. Now, first of all, even there, right. I'm not going to say that somebody can't work for the Federal Communications Commission, let's just say, because they, they, they have same-sex attraction. It's got nothing to do with the job and, and all that. But, but, but when you start saying, I now have to celebrate lifestyles and things, you will show up at the parade, you will put on a thing, you will wear this, the, the, the colors or whatever, and you will celebrate and go, yay. Um, well, that's that's where now your own rights to religious liberty um, and freedom of conscience are, are being violated. And I think that, so we have to make a lot of distinctions, I think, in these things, because I think it's a noble thing that people fought that simply because I'm a male or female or because I am... Um, uh, you know, black or white or whatever, you know, the, the, the things that have nothing to do with the job um, and uh, people were being excluded on the basis of these things that are God-given um, is, 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 is a horrible injustice. However, people are now asking for all kinds of protective status about behaviors and other dispositions. Uh, that You're absolutely right, Monsignor. Yeah. You're right about yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, so well, we could, gosh, it's, it's a horror story out there today. It's like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know? It's it's just uh, the stuff we're having to work through. However, um, I think that, um, that's what I say, be courageous, be strong, stand on your um, rights. And um, I think we're necessary, simply refuse to cooperate, you know, with evil or with um, um, demand that you, you know, compromise your conscience, you know? And um, I think at the end, you'll win in court, at least right now. Um, but it doesn't mean you'll have a job for the six months you're in court. <laughs> you know, So it's going to be it's going to involve suffering if we're going to really fight this stuff. And I, I, I'm not here to give everybody personal advice in, in very complex situations, but to say as a general principle, we've got to fight and, and we're going to have some casualties and we're going to suffer. And we haven't been used to this. Uh, it's kind of come upon no. us in the last 20 to 30 years, but it's coming upon us with a great earnestness. Now, we are being asked to, to pick sides. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not like you can hide out a lot anymore. Because the other side, primarily, I would say, is demanding that we take a stand for or against. And I say, well, I'm against. Well, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't do that. You can't be against. You're not allowed to be against. And so this is where we are. And um, it's coming to this. And. We could we postponed it and we postponed it, but I think increasingly now we're going to have to do just say I cannot and will not cooperate in this matter, um, and I ask to be excused. You know. All right. Well. All right. Let's. Uh, yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. The uh, the no. LGBTQ plus and the gender movement could never uh, have a foundation. Of standing on civil rights that doesn't apply to them yeah that you can't take the same platform that Martin Luther King used and right. apply to your platform it has never worked for well, the simple reason is that as you stated my senior um, yeah. uh, my civil rights was based on the color of my skin this is the way I was born this is the yeah. way God created me you know yeah. so I can't change that and I won't change it right but it deals with your lifestyle. Your lifestyle 
you can change. It doesn't have nothing to do with your skin color. It, it, like you said, it, it has everything to do with the lifestyle you live in. And if you choose to, you can change your lifestyle. But I can't change the color of my skin. I can't change the way I was born, you know. It's just the yeah. way I was born. That's the way he created us, you know. So right. that's that's yeah. the way I see it. Yeah, and the co-opting of the civil rights movement, uh, Bennett, is a, a very, um, well, I think it's, talk about cultural appropriation, if you want to use the term, all right? So enough said, but we, we'll we'll have to leave it at that for now. Just maybe to quickly read, I, chapter seven is just kind of a transition. Uh, I'd like to, even though it's 843, just read as much and as quickly as I can through it. It basically just going to get us to chapter eight where Judah steps on the scene, okay? So let me read through this as quickly as I can. Um, I'm in Judah chapter seven. The next day, Holofernes ordered his whole army and all the allies who had joined him to break camp and to move against Bethulia and to seize the passes up into the hill country and to make war on the Israelites. So all their warriors moved their camp that day and their force of men was, look at this now, the numbers have gone up, 170,000 infantry and 12,000 cavalry, together with all the baggage and foot soldiers handling it and a very great multitude the Death Star, all right? Uh, they encamped in the valley near Bethulia uh, beside the spring, and they spread out uh, uh, in breadth over Dothan as far as uh, Balba Balbaim and to the length of Bethulia and Siaman, uh, which faces Esdralon. When the Israelites saw the vast numbers, they were greatly terrified, and everyone said with his neighbor, these men will now lick up the face of the whole land. And neither the high mountains, nor the valleys, nor the hills will bear their weight. Uh, then each man uh, took his weapons, and when they had kindled fires in their towers, they remained on guard all that night. So they're ready to engage the battle, even though they feel dreadfully outnumbered, all right? The city, the city does have walls uh, and towers, um, and uh, right now the, um, the enemy are still at bay. Now, uh, verse 6, on the second day, Holofernes led out his cavalry in full view of the Israelites in Bethulia. Uh, and, and again, imagine they're up on a kind of a mountaintop looking down into the valley and they can see this, all right? And they examined the approaches to the city, that is to say the army, and visited the springs that supplied their water and seized them and set guards of soldiers over them and then returned uh, to his army. Now, all the chieftains of the peoples of Esau and the leaders of the Moabites and the commanders of the coastland came to him and said, let our Lord hear a word, lest his army be defeated. Uh-oh, they just said that word again. But anyway, for these people, the Israelites, do not rely on their spears, but on the height of the mountains where they live, for it is not easy to reach the tops of their mountains. Therefore, my Lord, do not fight against them in battle array, and not a, not a man of your army will fall. But rather, remain in your camp and keep all the men of your forces with you, and let only your servants take possession of the spring water that flows from the foot of the mountain, for this is where the peoples of Bethulia get their water. So thirst will destroy them, and they will give up their city. We and our people will then go up to the tops of the nearby mountains and camp there and keep watch that not a man gets out of the city. And they, they and their wives and children will waste away with famine. And before the sword reaches them, they will be strewn about the streets where they live. 
You will then pay them back with evil because they rebelled and did not receive you peaceably. These words pleased Holofernes and his servants, and so he gave orders to do as they had said. And the army of the Ammonites moved forward together with 5,000 Assyrians, and they encamped in the valley and seized the water supply and the springs of the Israelites. And the sons of Esau and the sons of Ammon went up and encamped in the hill country opposite Dothan, where they spent some of, sent some of their men toward the south and east toward uh, uh, Akraba, which is near Chuzi, besides the brook of Mahmur. And the rest of the Assyrian army encamped in the plain and covered the whole face of the land. And their tents and supply trains spread out in a great number, and they formed a vast multitude. So, in effect, they're going to they're going to besiege the city. They're going to surround it. They're going to, and this is a common tactic. Uh, the Romans used it uh, when they destroyed Jerusalem in the in the year seventy A.D. Uh, they would just surround the army, lock the people in, um, and uh, now Jerusalem had a very secret water supply. They were. There was a Hadrian and others had built tunnels to bring water into the city. And uh, these tunnels were hard to identify. And so they didn't have a water problem in Jerusalem. Uh, and they had a lot of food stored up when they set siege. But little by little, as the food ran out, uh, they began to turn on each other inside the city. By the time the Romans went over the wall, almost a third of the city was dead already by starvation. And also they had killed each other. Uh, inside the city, fighting over the food. Um, now, the, the, the same idea is being done here. They are able, though, to stop the water supply. The uh, water supply to the town, the town has high walls, and they're up on a high precipice, so they're hard to just take the town. So they just cut off the water and wait. Uh, and this is, this is, again, what they do. Now, from the standpoint of spiritual warfare, we may wonder at God's delay. Why does God let this happen? Um, why doesn't he come to the rescue one earlier rather than later? Um, again, I would argue that one of the main reasons that God does delay at times, it's not the only reason, but one of the main reasons is that he wants to grow our faith. You know, if God always mm -hmm. just quickly rescued us, you know, we, uh, we might have some faith. But it wouldn't be a very deep faith. And um, so, again, we the Lord wants to, uh, again, purify us through sufferings and also uh, perfect our faith. So I'm not here to give a full theology of suffering, but I'm just going to say that for now, God permits this. But remember, we know the end of the story already, right? One woman and her slave girl are going to solve this problem, see? All right. But God, again, is drawing the people to a certain place where they have to be confronted, that they have faith, but they need to strengthen their faith. We'll see that uh, in chapter 8, which we won't cover tonight. Now, it goes on here in verse 19, just to finish out the chapter. Um, uh, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord their God, for their courage had failed, because all their enemies had surrounded them, and there was no way of escape from for them. The whole Assyrian army, their infants and chariots and cavalry, surrounded them for 34 days. Until all the vessels of water um, belonging to every inhabitant of Athulia were empty, their cisterns were going dry, and they did not have enough water to drink uh, their fill for a single day, because it was measured out to them to drink. The children lost heart, and the women and the young men fainted from thirst and fell down on the streets of the city, and in the passages through the gates there was no strength left in them any longer. 
And all the people, the young men and the women and all the children gathered about Uzziah. He, he, remember, he's the governor. I'm, I'm, we'll call him the mayor. It's a city. So, And all the rulers of the city. And he cried out. they cried out with a loud voice before the elders, God be judged between you and us, for you have done a great injury in not making peace with the Assyrians. For now we have no one to help us out. God has sold us into their hands to strew us on the ground before them with thirst and utter destruction. So call them now and surrender the whole city to the army of Holofernes and all of his forces to be plundered. For it would be better for us to be captured by them than uh, for what for us to and for us to become slaves. But at least our lives will be spared, and we shall not witness the death of our infants before our eyes, or see our wives and children draw their last breath. We call against we call to witness against you, heaven and earth, and our God and the Lord of our fathers, who punishes us according to our sins and the sins of our fathers. Let him not do this today, this day, the things that we have described. Now, what, let me just quote the Lord here. They claim to be representing God here. They are not representing God. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Okay, hmm. you'll get water tomorrow if you surrender. You'll live a few more days. And eventually you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. You're going to spend eternity, not with God, not in heaven, but you're going to lose all the eternal blessings I have for you. You know, I'm telling you right now, says the Lord, he says, you got to make a decision. Why do you fear those who can kill the body, but not kill the soul? I'm telling you right now, they can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul. Only you can do that. And if you don't, don't buy into it, don't do it. And um, now that's how God would answer. But you notice again, I just asked you the question, why is God letting this go on? Well, one reason, this common reason um, among all theologians in the, in the Bible is that God wants to grow their faith. Well, you can see right now, and again, they're under duress. I grant you that. But uh, even though they're under duress, they're basically saying, that's it. God can't come through for us. He's apparently just handed us over to them. But we don't want to die. Um, we are, we're, we're willing to compromise now. Know? Now, I know that what I'm about to say is a very hard thing, but I hope, you know, at some level, people have had to make decisions to, you know, uh, we always we all want our children to live and not to suffer. But guess what? We don't always get to decide that. And sometimes we have to be willing even to let our children and our families suffer in order to save their souls and, and, mm. and to call people to something greater than just, you know, uh, living for tomorrow. Um, so again, what, what is it Martin Luther King said? If a man has not found something worth dying for, he is not fit to live. See? Mm. And, and, and this is where, again, we, it is true. There's an old saying, oh, let's not die on this hill. Let's live to fight another day. Got it. But you know what? I have found that people who say that almost never find a hill to die on, or those who say keep your powder dry, never use it. They just keep it dry forever. And then it just dries up. Um, in other words, it, it, to go back then to Martin Luther King's statement, and, and you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's something I know he draws from antiquity. But if a man has not found something worth dying for, he is not fit to live. Or he put it another way in one of his sermons, Doctor King. He said, "You know, you might, if you compromise today in the civil rights movement." He says, "You know," he it's in a letter from a Birmingham jail. He says. Yeah, you 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 uh, you may you may uh, you may put away the conflict for a while. Um, you you may live in some comfort for a little while, but really your heart stopped beating, 
the day you stop fighting for justice. Uh, and you'll go on mm -hmm. to live maybe a few more years and so on. But at the end of the day, your heart stopped beating when you stopped standing up for justice. You know, and, and he says that in the letter to the Birmingham jail. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but it's, it's basically saying, look, if you find a good fight, you got to get in it. And this is a good fight. See, and you're either going to fight this and, and stand and maybe willing to suffer and even die for it, as King ultimately did. Or you're, you're just not fit to live and your, your heart may still be beating, but you died when you gave up. No. You died when you gave up, you see. And yet a lot of people, even in the African-American community, if you ever seen the Vernon John story, you see how his congregation turned on him and said, you're going to make us lose what little things, what little gains we've ever made if you engage this battle. Mm. Well, do you not care that your brothers and sisters are in suffocating poverty? Some of you have made it into the middle class, but they haven't. You know, do you care about them? You know? uh -huh. And again, these are the things. If you find a good fight, you got to get in it. So I just want to say in spiritual warfare, these decisions have to be made. But in spiritual warfare, when you know your enemy is the devil and he wants you to compromise, never do it if you have to die. That's the whole story of the martyrs of the church, right? By the way, Pope Francis recently um, canonized uh, those, uh, those uh, I, I think there were, I forget how many men they were, but they were beheaded on the beach there. In Egypt, by the, uh, the the Coptic martyrs were beheaded by the Muslims there for refusing to mm -hmm. uh, to worship Allah, uh, and they said no, we're Christians, right. and they every one of them were beheaded, and they were just recently canonized. Um, so it's um, people endure these things. By the way, uh, I just I don't know if you hear because these things don't always make our news. In Nigeria, yesterday, over a hundred or two days ago, a hundred people were killed, and um, there were mm. there. There's a huge insurgency, not insurgency, a huge uh, incursion into Christian areas by the Muslims now, Boko Haram and other things uh, in Nigeria. People are suffering mightily in Nigeria. Uh, they go to church on Sundays, and, and uh, this last Sunday, about 100 of them didn't come home. Okay, But next Sunday, they're getting up and they're going to church. Okay? Now, there may be some who say, I can, I can't, I can't handle it. But as a group, they're staying in the battle. And, uh, you know, again, these are tough things. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says, if a man is slated to go to jail, off to jail he goes. If a man is slated for martyrdom, off to martyrdom he goes. This is a battle. And God has different roles for us. I, I, I know these are fearsome things I'm saying here, these last things, but I'm trying to get you to realize these are the, I mean, not the, these are the realities of spiritual warfare. And we want it all to be easy. And it isn't. Now, God did offer us paradise, but we said, nope, we want some, something else. And this is where we are now. We're living in a fallen world governed by a fallen angel. We have fallen natures, and we have to fight for what is right. So, okay, um, let's just, let me finish out the, uh, just a few, a couple more paragraphs, and we're done here. Great and general lamentation arose throughout the assembly, and they cried out to the Lord with a loud voice. And Uzziah said to them, have courage, brothers. Let us hold on for five more days. And by that time, the Lord our God will restore us to his mercy, for he will not forsake us utterly. And if after these five days pass by and no help comes to us, I will do what you say. Well, what he's saying is a little better than let's just give up now. But he's saying, if God doesn't come through on my little time, I'm, I'm setting a timer. And if God hasn't answered at the end of this timer, then we'll surrender. So he kicked the can down the road a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, he's willing to surrender too. You see the vision here, right? 
So it's it's very subtle. Um, the way the devil can work on these things, right? And so Uzziah is a hero compared to all the ones screaming and lamenting surrender now, but he's not really keeping the faith either. And Judith is going to call him on this. You can say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just quickly summarize when she steps on the scene. But one of the things she says, how dare you give God a time frame? She says, it's time to act now, sitting here like sitting ducks and just waiting around for uh, something to happen from on high. What are we going to do? When are we going to fight this enemy? You see? We're sitting here cowering and worrying, and, and it's time to act. And that's what she's going to say in chapter 8 when she steps on the scene. Don't you ever give God a timetable. Get off your butts and let's get this thing going. As for me, I've got a plan. And then she sets it out and she goes to work. Now, there you have it. See? She's she's the, she's the woman, see? And um, she's, she's, you know, so you start to see this picture they're all surrounded and they're overwhelmed. They're afraid and they're scared. They're like, oh, and they're just sitting there waiting to die or or, or to just give up. And there's an, actually a third way. And the third way is to fight, not just sit there. Well, we're overwhelming, you know, it's, it's, I know. And that's why you don't try to become a bigger army than your opponent. That's, you're not going to win on those bases. You're going to win by small tactical operations. So basically, I'm going to, you know, uh, set off a bomb in their in their army camp. I'm going to go down there and uh, I'm going to tell you right now, you set, you gave God five days. I'll have it done before five days because God has told me to go and I, I'm listening. And you all are sitting on your butts crying and, and, and starving and thirsting to death. You know, so she she rebukes Uzziah and all the townsfolk and says, where, where is your faith? OK, so again, here is just to finish out this chapter, though. So he dismissed the people to their various posts and they went up on the walls and the towers of the city and the women and the children went home and they were greatly depressed in the city. Okay, now just look at the opening lines of eight. I'm not going to read into eight because it's late. At that time, Judith heard about these things. All right, so you can close your book for now. <laughs> but Judith <laughs> is on the job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say, uh, Judy, you, 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 Judy, uh, you're on the job, right? Okay. So Judith, I told you this was my favorite book. Okay. Okay. That's right. And she has, Judith is reporting for duty. <laughs> Who are you? I'm just a widow. Well, what can you do? Mm, you just wait and see. All right. So that's where we'll pick up the story. All right. <laughs> so same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Tune in next week. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I think. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah, uh, as, as you stated, things are not going to get any better, and mm -hmm. and you are exactly right. And uh, the uh, I think a lot of times when you say the suffering part, Monsignor, that's mm -hmm. the part a lot of us don't like. We don't yeah. like that suffering part, no. but we are going to have to have to come to a place where we're going to have to make a choice, just like you taught on tonight. Each and every individual on this uh, fellowship on tonight, we're going to have to make a choice which mm -hmm. side we want to stand on. And yeah. uh, one scripture, one scripture stands out in my mind when you said that, and I believe Paul had when he was converted. He had I forgot what church he wrote the letter to or said this in, but he said that perfect love casts out all fear, yeah. and that's what those Catholic Christians have when they got their head chopped off they had perfect love they were not yeah. afraid no. give their life for their lord and savior jesus christ 
and uh, yeah. we live so comfortable over here in America. But mm-hmm. America is going to be judged just like every other nation. Yeah. It's coming. It's just yeah. a matter of time. And as you know, and we all know this, I mean, it's not always about huge things like, you know, suffering in, uh, to the point of death. But if you postpone suffering, you you can only postpone it. It's still going to be there. So let's say let's say I've got a term paper that's due and I'm back in college and I keep postponing. I don't want to suffer today. I don't want to sit down and write. I want to just go out and have a beer with the guys. And uh, and so all of a sudden the deadline comes and all you've done is postpone suffering. And you're going to have to spend, you know, like two nights without sleep to get that darn thing done. And you're so in other words, we always want to postpone it, but it comes to us anyway, you know, and you might as well get a little mm-hmm. bit done every day um, and that kind of thing. So we already know this at some level, but, you know, the denial, as you've heard, is not a river in Egypt. And uh, we always think we can just escape it. And we, we just ultimately we can't. All right. And um yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Any uh, other uh, final comments or questions? It's nine oh four, so we should probably wrap it up. Um, I hope that you know, and I'm, I'm I know that some of this is hard, or heavy weather. Um, I don't know that all of us will suffer horribly before we pass from this world, but I, I can see a time coming where uh, those of us who have any faith at all left. We'll have to uh, accept that uh, suffering. I told you before, and I'll say it again, when I go around the country giving retreats for priests and even bishops, I always say the same thing to them. We have not prepared ourselves or our people for martyrdom and suffering, but we have to now because it's the only way that will ever save this country or other souls. This this juggernaut of moral and spiritual confusion is chewing up things on all sides, just like these this army of Holofernes. And we've got to start standing up and fighting. You say, oh, it's overwhelming, but by God, in your parish and tell your people and their families, hold your line and do not submit to Amen. this the stuff. And stand Amen. up and Amen. be hated and persecuted, but be willing to endure it because it's it is it's a good fight Amen. and get in it. Yes. Amen. All right. All right, someone pray us out. <laughs> Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. All right. <laughs> Most gracious, loving Father, thank you so much for allowing yes. us this time together. Thank you for yes. giving us all that, all that we need. Thank you for uh, continuing to fill and refill the ammunition that we need to uh, put the flames out from the evil one. We see and know that there is a spiritual warfare going on and it's not just happening in our homes. It's happening in our hearts, in our spirits, in our church, in our communities. It's all Mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. And I know, Lord, that the disruption is because this land is in the healing progression by you. As we continue to desire to want to know more of your word to want to know more of mm-hmm. you help that desire to continue growing so that the few laborers yes. that are here for this fantastic harvest can continue growing and that the god that's mm-hmm. in each and every one of us be seen by others so that we continue increasing this kingdom the growth 
for your kingdom, dear Lord. So thank you for allowing us to come together in fellowship, learning more of your word. Thank you for blessing my senior as a shepherd and uh, feeding us uh, a sheep uh, to do mm -hmm. what you called him to do and to do what you call us to do, to love together, learn together, mm -hmm. pray together, grow together. I lift those in prayer who were not able to be with us this evening and definitely those that were yes, this evening. When we depart from this Zoom, uh, this flock note, may we look forward to having a peaceful rest and it be your will, dear Lord. We wait to see tomorrow, which is a day we've never seen before, though it's called Thursday. May you supply us with everything that we need to make it yeah. through that day mm -hmm. and uh, to wake up to the mercy that you have with our name on it. And I lift those, the repose of the souls of those that have recently yeah. passed, even as early as today, dear Lord. We know oh, that they are resting in sweet peace and may the perpetual light continue shining upon them. So Lord, mm -hmm. we thank you. We love you. We praise you. It be your will. We'll be back together again next week. Until then, yes, we continue praising your name, glorifying you, and thanking you for everything you continue to do for us. Yeah. Through Christ our Lord, amen. 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 Hey, love All you right. guys. Love you guys. Thank amen, you. Amen. God bless everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, David. Good night, Margaret. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night, Steve. Campbell, Monsignor, Sister Butler. All right. Hey, Monsignor, can you stay for one second? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. We have a question about your homily. Okay, let me um, just stop the uh, recording first. Okay, stop recording.